Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Curia Lazen, Christe Eleison, the words we've heard repeated over and over again, woven through this service. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. A prayer to God, a prayer to Jesus Christ to have mercy on us, his people. The season of Lent is all about looking forward in the same way that the season of Advent is, and yet there's a different character, a different flavor to the anticipation. Because where during Advent we look forward to the coming of Christ and the incarnation, in Lent we look forward to Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. So this is a season that's sometimes described as penitential in nature. It's a season where we reflect on our own sin because in reflecting on our sin, we see our need for Jesus Christ as Savior. Sometimes when uh, you give a sermon, you begin by giving a recap, kind of reviewing the progress that we've made so far. And I'd like to review some progress, uh, not that, that we made last week or the week before, but uh, uh, two Ash Wednesdays ago, if you can bear with me, two years ago, I'm sure you remember, when we gathered here to uh, have our Ash Wednesday service, I was preaching a sermon series from Deuteronomy on the wilderness. We were looking at the words of Moses throughout Lent as he talked about the significance for Israel of their time in the wilderness and the lessons that the wilderness had taught to them. The wilderness will test your faithfulness. The wilderness will humble you. The wilderness won't let you forget. The wilderness will prove Christ's love. It's significant that we were in this study of the wilderness because Lent specifically looks back at Christ's 40 days in the wilderness, Christ's temptation that he successfully resisted. And that 40 days looks back to the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness. One year ago, one Ash Wednesday ago, we were talking about the same thing, but in a different part of Scripture. We were in First Peter talking about the sense in which we as believers are sojourners and exiles, the way in which the life of faith is a life lived in the wilderness. We talked about the connection between the garden and the wilderness, between Babel and Pentecost, trying to connect the the big uh, structures of Scripture. And now, Sunday to Sunday, we're working through the book of Joshua, and chronologically, it's almost as if we've gotten ahead of ourselves, because Joshua is what happens after the people of God leave the wilderness. They've done their time in the wilderness, and now it's time to enter the promise, and yet... That journey, that conquest of the promised land is one that takes place after the wilderness has shaped the people. This evening, as we think about the beginning of this season of wilderness reflection, I want to look at some words from the prophet Hosea. The prophet Hosea will talk about Israel's time in the wilderness, will talk about the years spent before they entered the promise. Now make an interesting observation about what happens in those days 
after they left the wilderness and entered into the promise. So in your order of worship, or if you want to turn in Scripture to Hosea chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 4, 5, and 6. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore they forgot me. Forgot me. The prophet Hosea, in talking about what happens after the wilderness, sees the fullness of heart, the fulfillment, the comfort of those days as being a source of forgetfulness, the forgetfulness of a full heart. When I was a child, I uh, thought like a child and I spoke like a child, and specifically a child growing up in southwest Louisiana, which uh, is a little bit different from the region that we find ourselves in now. It's probably the most Roman Catholic part of the South. So that I grew up as, as a, a single embattled Protestant surrounded by all my Roman Catholic friends, seeing from the outside the, the lives that they lived and the structure of the faith that they lived. And one of the seasons of the church that I remember most vividly was Lent. Because when Lent came along, people started talking about what they were going to give up for Lent what they were going to be fasting from. Now, I was outside this process. I was overhearing it. I was an observer. But um, I made some observations. I observed some behavior that I found interesting as an onlooker. Um, so two observations. The first one has to do with hypocrisy. I noticed that the things that people were giving up for Lent oftentimes were things that the Bible regarded as sinful. So essentially, these were things that you were meant to be giving up all the time. You were always supposed to be fasting from these things, but my friends would make a special uh, uh, note of giving them up for 40 days during Lent. It seemed a little hypocritical to me that you could turn your back on your sin for you know a month and a week, and then re-embrace it afterwards, and that was all that was required of you. The second observation, even a little bit more hypocrisy, because before all of my friends went through this, this hard period of suffering where they had to turn their backs on their sin for a season, they threw a big party in which they overindulged in those same sins. Uh, we call it Mardi Gras. And Mardi Gras, certainly in, in my part of Louisiana, is probably the biggest blowout of the year. And the idea, as far as I could see, observing it as a young man, was to uh, overdo it so much that you need about 40 days before you think about sinning again. So you drink so much and you party so much that, that nobody is in any fit state to party for 40 days. And so you fast from all of these things. And that seemed to me even more hypocritical. Not only are you giving things up for a season that you should be turning your back on forever, but before you give them up, you overindulge in them so that you get the, the taste of it all to tide you over 
during the difficult weeks before Easter. Later, as I grew up, I was no longer a child. I didn't think like a child. I didn't speak like a child for the most part. Uh, I came to value the church calendar in a way that I hadn't before. Uh, because of the way that this traditional observance tends to structure all of our time in a way that makes us mindful of the story of redemption in a way that we wouldn't otherwise be. So as uh, Advent focused me on Christmas, and Christmas didn't end on Christmas morning, but continued for a season of observance, all of that I found very meaningful and very helpful. Easter the same way, but Lent was always hard for me. Lent was always the thing that I had the most difficulty uh, benefiting from, and I still struggle with it to this day because of all of these associations that I had with it from the past. It was the hardest. It still is the hardest. So I want to use these words we've read from Hosea to think about how this tradition of Lent could be helpful to us, to think about more specifically the value of giving up, the value of giving things up. And what is the value of giving something up? If you think about it, why do we give things up? Why do we let go of things that we cherish, that we enjoy? Why would you ever not do something that you like doing? Life is too short. There's so little happiness as it is. Why would you deny yourself anything at all? Well, sometimes you give something up in order to gain something. In fact, most times when we make sacrifices, we make sacrifices so that we can gain something. We sacrifice for reward. The classic example would be uh, everybody's favorite New Year's resolution to go on a diet. Right? This is a sacrifice that we make, but it's a sacrifice that we make in hope of a reward. We're going to sacrifice carbs for the reward of weight loss and clothes fitting less tightly. So it's a quid pro quo. It's not easy. It's a very difficult kind of sacrifice to make, but it's not a hard sacrifice to understand the value of. Right? You're going to give something up, and you're going to get something in exchange, something that is desirable. Sacrifice for reward. But there's another kind of sacrifice because not everything we give up is given up so that we can gain something. There's, there's a higher kind of sacrifice that people make. Sometimes we give something up to feel better about ourselves. We give something up so that we can feel better, so that we can be better. Now, in a way, the, the, the Lenten fasting of my youth fit into this category. You gave up your binge drinking. You gave up your carousing uh, for 40 days so that you could feel like you were a better person, a more virtuous person for a season so that when you returned to those things, you could remember that you had given them up for a little while and feel good about yourself. You weren't as, as uh, in bondage to your sin as people thought because you could turn your back on it for a season. You sacrificed those things for a while in order to show your virtue. It's not to gain something, it's to feel that you can be good, that you can be better. And it's interesting, there's actually been a rise in the appropriation of Lent in the secular world. There's a thing called secular Lent that people observe. In fact, uh, some onlookers were thinking that we might reach the point where there are more 
non-Christians observing Lent than there are Christians. And this idea of secular Lent is very much a uh, season where you sacrifice things in order to feel better about yourself. It's a 40-day cleanse, if you will, that purifies you physically or spiritually, whatever that means to people who don't believe in God. Would it surprise you to know that the most popular thing that people give up during secular Lent is social media for 40 days, especially Twitter? Because this is something we feel a lot of anxiety about, something where we're worried that maybe it makes us worse people, not better people. But if we can give it away for a season, if we can give it up for a season, then we can feel better about that. Prove that we're not addicted to it. We can walk away from it for a while. We can feel better about ourselves. We sacrifice social media. We feel better about ourselves. We feel a lot better about ourselves than we feel about people who can't give it up for 40 days, right? We're far superior to those people, people who have given it up entirely. We don't even want to know people like that. They make us feel bad. We can give something up in order to feel virtuous. But is this really a sacrifice for the cause of virtue? Because the things we give up, we also re-embrace at the end of the season. The things that we fast from, we also re-embrace. So the thing that made you feel unvirtuous, if you walk away from it, but then walk right back to it, how is that supposed to make you feel in the end? Whether it's drinking that you've given up or tweeting, if you're just going to come back to it, then it doesn't really signal virtue at all. In fact, I would argue that, that like the other kind of sacrifice, maybe it feels, at least from the outside, a little bit more like hypocrisy. So that's two kinds of sacrifice, two reasons why you might give something up, but there's a third reason, a higher reason. You can give something up to get closer to another. We talked about sacrificing for gain, sacrificing for virtue. Now this is sacrifice for communion. In the old days, they did things in more primitive ways. If you wanted to go deep sea diving, you could do that. You could get a nice brass helmet that would screw onto your, your underwater suit. But if you wanted to go down to the bottom, you had to take something with you, weight. You had to carry weight. You had to have lead shoes or something that you would wear, and that would keep you down at the bottom. And the way that you would draw closer to the surface is to shed the weight. Right? You would give it up. And, and the act of giving it up, of letting go of it, would naturally lead to your ascent. You would get closer and closer to the surface as you gave up the weight that you were holding on to. So when you think about giving something up to get closer to another, think about it that way. Giving something up to draw nearer to something that you aspire to, to get closer to the surface. Sometimes we give things up so that we can get closer to something or to someone that matters to us. Classic example would be uh, shaving your head when your friend has to have chemo. There's not a utility in this. It doesn't make your hair grow back better. You don't derive a benefit from it. Um, you don't show what a good person you are. You don't do it to make yourself feel like a good person. You do it out of solidarity with your friend who suffers. You do it to draw closer. You do it to uh, show we're in this together. If you suffer, I suffer. There's a bond between us. There's a union between us. It's a gesture that brings us closer without any thought of utility. 
to sacrifice for communion. This is the kind of sacrifice that the wilderness can be for us, the sacrifice for communion with God. Hosea says God knew his people in the wilderness. He was their God. There was no other Savior, and he knew them in the wilderness. He was with them. But once they were full and comfortable, once they were out of need, in their comfort, it was easy to forget. And it's easy for us, too, because we lead comfortable lives. Most of us, even though theoretically we know we depend on God for everything, most of us haven't really felt like we were depending on God for something urgently. Most of us are far removed from that sense that if God doesn't come through, then everything is going to go sideways. We haven't felt that kind of need in a while, and in our comfort and in our fullness, it's easy to forget how he was there for us in our need. It's easy to forget the way that he knew us. So that fasting, as Scripture commands, Giving things up as a kind of discipline can be a way of remembering. By dropping the weight, so to speak, we rise closer to the surface. But it matters how you think about this. It matters how you think about spiritual discipline, how you think about the kind of prayer and fasting that Scripture calls us to embrace. First of all, uh, don't give up your sin for a season in order to get closer to God. Just give up your sin for for all time. Fight against it every day. Mortify the flesh constantly. Always be at war with the sin that wars within you, the the law of the flesh that that rages within you. Don't take this season that we're about to enter into as a time when you should temporarily separate yourself from the sin that otherwise you indulge in. That's not the kind of sacrifice that draws us closer. And don't give up something to get something from God. This is often the way we think about these things. Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice this thing that I value in order to gain something that I need or want. I'll give up something, especially for a season, so that you can come through for me in the ways that I want you to come through for me. But don't use this time as a time to give something up, trying to get something from God. And don't give something up so you can feel good about yourself. A lot of times we congratulate ourselves on what we can turn our backs on. We congratulate ourselves on what we can do without. It makes us feel good. It makes us look good to the people around us. But don't use this time as we approach Easter to give things up so that you can feel good and look good to others. That's not the gospel. That's moralism. Not only is it not the gospel, but it's the kind of thinking that inoculates us against the gospel. Because when we're focused on getting our act together, on straightening ourselves out so that we feel good and look good, we convince ourselves that the need is past. We convince ourselves 
that we possess a comfort that we do indeed not possess. So don't use this time as a time to give something up to feel good. The only reason to fast, the only reason to give something up is to give it up to draw nearer to God, to give it up to commune more fully with Him, to give up the things that though good in themselves stand between us so that we can have the greater good of communion with Him. Solidarity with Christ, reflecting on His sufferings, and reflecting on his glory, because we see the connection between our own sufferings and the glory that he has promised us. That's what we should long for during this season. And if that's too complicated, just think about it this way. The question to ask isn't, why would I give something up? The question to ask is, what did Christ give up in order to draw near to you? What did Christ turn his back on? in order to come close to you? What good thing did he sacrifice? What wondrous thing did he sacrifice? Jesus didn't turn away from from sin in order to be near to us. He didn't turn away from uh, a nice life. He turned away from glory. He took flesh and dwelled among us. He experienced what our confessional standards refer to as his humiliation from his birth, from his conception, to his birth, to his life, to his death, all the way to the resurrection, a life of humiliation embraced for our sake to be in solidarity with us. And whether your discipline is physical or spiritual or both, make this a season of greater reliance on Christ. Because it's when we rely on him most that we realize how much we rely on him at all times in every way. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.